Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. The Bible does not withhold the sins and failings of God's most faithful servants. For example, Noah was a man of faith and obedience, and yet he got drunk. Abraham, the father of faith, twice lied about his wife, Sarah. Jacob was a thief and a liar. Moses lost his temper when he struck the rock instead of speaking to it. Gideon and Timothy were fearful men. Jonah ran from the Lord. Peter denied the Lord three times. James and John, in their pride, argued about who was the greatest, who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Thomas doubted. Martha worried. Elijah fell into self-pity. Paul stubbornly would not listen to God's warnings about not going to Jerusalem. And David, a man after God's own heart, committed adultery and then murdered a man to cover up his sin. The saints and servants of God and God's Word were real people who made mistakes and sometimes lost their way, who failed and faltered and wandered and sinned. The Bible presents the facts as they were, so we may learn from the consequences of their sins. In our first two parts of this series, we looked at unbelievers who committed murder. Cain murdered Abel. And Herod Antipas and Herodias murdered John the Baptist. In this episode, however, we're going to be looking at a believer who committed murder, King David. Second Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 5 read, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass, in an evening tide, that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. The account of David's sins is given against the backdrop of Israel's siege of Rabbah under Joab, who was David's nephew and the captain of the host of Israel's army. Rabbah was the capital city of the Ammonites, and it was a walled city. Joab and the troops of Israel were besieging the city until they ran out of food and water. While Israel's army was on this important campaign, David remained in Jerusalem. Now, kings in that time often led their armies personally. And verse 1 points that out when it says, When kings go forth to battle. But for reasons not stated, King David did not lead his army here, and he was not acting responsibly. 
And as it's been said, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Instead of being in the battle, he was in his bedroom. Had David been with his troops, the Bathsheba episode would have never happened. It was springtime. The rainy season was over. Warm breezes were blowing across Jerusalem. Restless, David rose from his bed and walked on the flat roof of his palace. Looking out from the roof, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. Now there is fault on both sides of this story. David was idle. Bathsheba was careless. Modesty would typically require one to bathe in a place where she knew she could not be seen. Then David acted on his desire. And with forgetfulness of God, who sees everything, David sent one of his servants to find out who she was. The answer that came back from the servant had warning in it. It says, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Bathsheba's father, Eliam, was one of David's mighty men of war, as listed in 2 Samuel 23. Eliam was a faithful and courageous soldier within the army of Israel. Bathsheba was also the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah was also one of the mighty men who was listed among David's bravest warriors and most outstanding soldiers. But of course, the important thing to note here that the servant shared with David very clearly was that Bathsheba was married. When David heard that she was the daughter of one of his mighty men and the wife of one of his courageous soldiers who was even then on the battlefield for Israel, David should have turned from temptation and gone back to bed. But David ignored the warning from the servant. Instead, he sent for her, and they both committed adultery and sinned against God. It is God who established marriage and gave the rules that govern it. Adultery was so serious a sin within God's law that both the adulterer and the adulteress were to be stoned to death. Later, when Bathsheba learned that she was pregnant, she sent the news to David, stating very simply, I am with child. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 6-11 through read, And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into, unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, the ark in Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest, and as thy soul liveth? I will not do this thing. David knew what he had done was wrong. So he takes the first step to try to cover up his sin. 
as is often the case with sin and its consequence, one sin leads to another sin and to another sin. And in his crisis, David goes the route of lies and deception. David tried three cover-ups, a clean one, which you learn in verses 6 through 11, a dirty one, which you learn in verses 12 to 13, and then a criminal one in verses 14 to 17. A message is sent to Joab, the captain of the host. The message is for Joab to send Uriah the Hittite from the battlefield to King David in Jerusalem. Upon arriving, David asks Uriah for a report about the state of the war, how Joab was doing also. And he really didn't care about any of that. It was all a charade to get Uriah back home temporarily with his wife Bathsheba. David tries to legitimize the impending birth of this child by having Bathsheba's husband come home to be with his wife and then return to the battlefield. Then when the baby was born, Uriah would think that it was his own child and nobody would ever know what David had done. But David's plan doesn't work. After giving his report of the war, David sends Uriah to his house with a gift of good food with all the trimmings from the king. So they had food delivery service back then too. One comedian said, food delivery is a combination of my two favorite activities, eating and not moving. David underestimates Uriah's faithful commitment to him. And David's clever idea flops. Instead of going home as instructed by David, Uriah slipped at the door of the palace. Uriah did not feel it was right or that he could enjoy the comforts of home as long as his nation was at war and his comrades in arms were still on the field of battle. Uriah was a true soldier and his heart was with his brothers in the field. And if his fellow soldiers were enduring the hardships of war, Uriah was not going to seek the comfort of his wife and home. The next day, David hears about Uriah not going home. And then he calls Uriah before him and to chide him and to ask him why. And Uriah's response is interesting. He gently responds, The ark in Israel are dwelling in tents, and Joab, my commander, and the Servants of my commander are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to be with my wife? And he says, I can't and I will not do this thing. There is an unstated rebuke here for David as well. When typically a king was with his men on the battlefield, David was not with Israel in a tent. David was in his luxurious palace. Uriah Uriah also points out that Not only is the army of Israel dwelling in tents, so is the Ark of the Covenant and Jehovah with the Ark. The Ark influenced Uriah's actions. If the Ark was in a tent, he could not and would not enjoy the comforts of his house. Uriah was a Hittite, a foreigner, yet his name means Yahweh is my light. And his concern over the symbol of God's covenant with Israel shows that Uriah was a true worshiper and a follower of Jehovah and a believer. Uriah was a man of loyalty. He was committed to his God, committed to God's nation, the nation of Israel. 
Uriah's faithfulness was in stark contrast to David's unfaithfulness. David should have felt rebuked by Uriah's integrity. Instead, he moves on to plan B to cover up his sin. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 12 to 13 read, And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. David's next idea, born out of desperation, was to get Uriah drunk so that he would go to his house and be with his wife. David hoped that alcohol would tear down Uriah's defenses and he would cooperate with David's plan. But again, David underestimated Uriah. David invited Uriah to have a meal with him before he returned to the battlefield. During the meal, David made sure that Uriah's cup was filled with wine and that it kept being filled until Uriah was drunk. But after David had made him drunk, this faithful soldier still refused to go home. Instead, in his loyalty, he again slept with his fellow servants at the palace of the king. And it's been said that Uriah drunk proved to be a better man than David sober. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Looking for a Few Good Men is an 18-page booklet taken from Episode 76 of our program, Transformed by Grace, written and taught by Pastor Kevin Sadler, President of the Berean Bible Society. The church needs qualified men for leadership. The assembly goes the way of its leaders. Having leaders who are qualified and dedicated, who live by God's word and lead God's people by faith, the church will be able to accomplish great things for God's glory. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.BereanBibleSociety.org This message is also available on DVD. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750. Or subscribe online at www.BereanBibleSociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Second Samuel 11, verses 14 to 18 read, And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. It came to pass, when Joab observed the city, that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city 
went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. Unable to manipulate Uriah into doing what he wanted, David stoops to his lowest level. The next morning, David's two plots having been foiled, and now even in a greater panic, he writes a letter to Joab and orders Uriah to take it to him. Think about that. He sends this faithful man with his own death warrant in hand to Joab. Sin can cause a person to do heartless and horrible things. The cold memo to Joab commanded that Uriah be stationed at the hottest, most dangerous part of the battlefield and that during the fight, Uriah should be abandoned to the enemy by pulling back and retiring from him so that he would be left alone to die. Thus, David's third plan to cover up his sin was for Uriah to not be alive to learn about the baby that would be born. David's sin with Bathsheba was a sin of the moment that overtook him, but his sin of having Uriah killed was premeditated. This was premeditated murder by David. Joab observes the walled city of Rabbah. He assigns Uriah unto a place where he knew that the valiant men were, that is, the valiant men in the city. So he sets Uriah in front of these valiant men. Putting everything together from the rest of the chapter, we learn that one day some of the men of the city of Rabbah made a sally, or they suddenly charged out of their besieged place to attack the troops that were blockading the city. But they did so only to entice them to pursue them back and come within shot of the archers that were all around the wall of the city. Joab, as a good leader of men in the army, knew better than to follow. But to obey the king's command, he ordered some of his men, which included Uriah, to pursue the attackers. When they came within range of the Ammonite archers, many of them fell, including Uriah. Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 to 7 read, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress from for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. 
At the end of chapter 11, we learn how David, still covering his sin, took Bathsheba, Uriah's pregnant widow, to be his wife, and he took her into his house. And thus, her child could now be explained by their marriage, seemingly, and not their adultery. While David's sin might have been hidden from other people, his sin was not hidden from the Lord, who sees everything. Thus, verse 26 of chapter 11 reads, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. David reaped what he had sown, and he pays dearly for his sins. Because what David had done had displeased the Lord, and because God is not mocked, the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to King David to tell David what David had been refusing to tell himself for a year, that he had sinned and done wrong. Nathan tells David a story, a story that was to reach for David's heart. Nathan tells a story about sheep. Since David had been a shepherd, he paid close attention quickly became engrossed in what Nathan said, and he let down his defenses. Nathan's parable was about two men in one city. One man was rich, the other was poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds of sheep and oxen. The poor man possessed nothing except one small ewe lamb, which was a female lamb, which he had bought and nourished. This small lamb grew up in his house with his children. It was treated tenderly and loved deeply, and it ate of his bread and drank of his cup and would lay in his bosom, Nathan said. The lamb was like a family pet and like a child to the poor man. One day a traveler stepped, uh, stopped in to visit the rich man, but he, the rich man was unwilling to use any of his own animals as food to prepare for the visitor. Instead, he took the one small lamb belonging to the poor man, slaughtered it, and prepared it for a meal for his guest. The one city was Jerusalem. David's the rich man, who had everything he ever wanted as king in Israel. His many flocks speaks of David's multiple wives. Uriah was the poor man who had nothing. Bathsheba was the one small ewe lamb and Uriah's one wife. Uriah loved and cared for Bathsheba deeply, but David came and stole her away. The traveler represented the lust of David that was just passing through. And for this traveling visitor, David had reached into the household of a poor man and took his cherished ewe lamb or wife away. When Nathan said, that the small lamb did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom, in verse 3. This has a direct correlation to Uriah's words to David when he asked Uriah why he hadn't gone home that night. In verse 11 of chapter 11, Uriah told David, Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? Nathan's story evoked a strong reaction by David because there was no justification uh, from any way you looked at it, for what the rich man had done to the poor man. David was being shown that he could judge sin in others more easily than in himself. Moved with compassion, David's anger was 
kindled and he rears up and declares that the rich man should die for his sin in this despicable act, even though stealing and killing a domestic animal was not a capital offense in Israel under the law. But David was so angry, he exaggerates the punishment. David passes judgment on the rich man without realizing that he was passing judgment on himself. Up to this point, David had been minimizing and hiding his sin when his murder of Uriah and his adultery with Bathsheba were both sins that did call for his death under the law. David deserved to die. He needed to be brought to a realization of the seriousness of his sins before God and that what he had done was worthy of death, and this heart-wrenching story did it. After David orders the death of the rich man and restitution for the poor man, Nathan dramatically and fearlessly points his finger at David and drops the bombshell, Thou art the man. And I imagine David's jaw just dropping. His sins were exposed. Nathan tells him, you're the rich man who did this. God was gracious with you. He made you king. He enriched you. He gave you everything that your heart could desire. But you took Bathsheba from her husband, and then you killed Uriah to cover your crime. David had abused the great blessings that God had given him. But in spite of the enormity of David's sin and the utter absence of personal merit, David experiences the blessing of the forgiveness of sin. The Apostle Paul wrote of David in Romans 4, verses 6 through 8, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. David was a great sinner, and he deserved to die. But God put away his sin. Nathan informed him that. He told David in verse 13 of chapter 12, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Forgiveness of sins with David was a matter of God's grace, not of any effort of his own, not of anything he did to try to earn it. And David learned that, and learned that lesson well. And that's what Paul's teaching us in Romans 4. God justifies the ungodly. David was an ungodly sinner, guilty of adultery, guilty of murder, deserving of death, yet he experienced God's full and free forgiveness by grace. And we experience God's full and free forgiveness by grace when we trust that Christ died for our sins and rose again the third day. Please make that decision now to trust Christ as your Savior, and God will forgive you all of your sins, all past sins, present sins, and future sins, and you will be righteous in Christ and ready for heaven. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.